0: But your standard lipid
1: panel won't tell you that much. If we don't have cholesterol, we die. But if you have too low of LDL, good luck fighting off an infection. And their saturated fat intake goes up by two or three fold. If that's all I know, I'm happy with that. Low-density lipoprotein particles are more of the marker we want to assess for versus just your LDL cholesterol. Welcome to Gut Check Radio the health and wellness podcast, giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician.
0: We're going to flip the roles. I'm going to kind of interview you, so to speak. Your general thoughts on cholesterol, where your mind started with it when you started functional medicine and kind of take us through your journey to where you're at now regarding your thoughts on cholesterol at large.
1: I think the first thing we need to address when we're discussing cholesterol is first understand why do we care, you know, and, and really unpack why... Is it that every time I go to my doctor, why do they run cholesterol in my blood? What's the point? In my view, and some people, I think most people agree with this, you care about cholesterol because you're trying to assess your heart disease risk. Being that heart disease is currently the number one killer in America, you want to know probably as much information as you can about its risk, you know, and a hundred years ago... The top causes of death were things related to infection. 200 years ago, it was things related to mortality from maternity. So childbirth, death rates were incredibly high. And so now we've sort of earned the right to have these diseases of time and accumulation of stressors and of certain chemicals that contribute to heart disease. Like 100 years ago, a lot of people didn't live long enough to get heart disease. Now we live long enough where you earn it. So, sort of like arthritis. If you do enough stuff, you earn the right to have arthritis.
0: <laughs> I like that spin on it. Diseases of modernity is probably a good way to put it. Yeah. I li- yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, if there's kind of this give and take over time, we've exchanged, um, like you said, the, the diseases or issues with giving birth, childbirth. Uh, Infections. And now that we've kind of cleaned all these things up, we're living long enough. And also, probably paradoxically speaking, long enough, but also disconnected enough to where a lot of the lifestyle factors that lead to something like heart disease are so prevalent high stress, lack of purpose, lack of social community, poor sleep, poor diet. I mean, you name it, like all these things that are probably the significant portion of the pie that contributes to heart disease would be my guess. I mean, like I said, obviously you're much more of an expert in this than I am. Um, I have a bunch of questions here. So I guess the first one I would like to unpack with you is what exactly is cholesterol? I know, I mean, as kind of you alluded to, we've, I think, just kind of grandfathered in the mindset of, oh, they went in to arterial plaque they saw cholesterol and now all cholesterol is bad don't eat it don't have high levels of it um and without this zoomed out understanding of like we talked about a minute ago a couple minutes ago that it's really the building block for a lot of hormones that we make most of our cholesterol levels is my understanding but correct me if i'm wrong i want to hear you explain what exactly cholesterol is and kind of go from there
1: Yeah, I want to unpack that in two different segments. The first part is why cholesterol? What's the significance of it? If we don't have cholesterol, we die. So it is, it is an essential compound that like you just so eloquently alluded to is the building block for hormones, testosterone, cortisol, estrogen, DHEA. It is responsible for transporting nutrients throughout our cell membranes. It's responsible for making up the cell membranes and helping stuff pass into and out of the cell. So it's a very essential molecule. And it is, I mean, we don't, there's a lot of podcasts out there that explore a lot of the the textbook biochemistry of that. And I don't think we need to bore bore people with that today. So knowing that, The second thing I want to unpack that you just asked is, how they found cholesterol in the arteries. It It was hardened and heart disease caused that. And that was all born out of a man named Ansel Keys from the 1960s. And he was a physiologist who did this really crazy, large scale study called the seven country study, where they looked at a bunch of different people from seven countries and they tried to assess, are there any nutritional factors related to heart disease? And what he found was that high blood levels of cholesterol generally correlated with greater incidence of heart disease. So then what and there's a whole there's a whole lot of nuance to peel the onion back with fat. And we again, we don't, there's podcasts from people like Peter Atia or Malcolm Kendrick, if anybody wants to really dive deep into the history of that. Ansel Keys and seven country study, but the 30,000 foot view, as he said, oh, cholesterol is in the blood, Your heart disease happens in the blood. There's um, a relationship there. And then he also said, oh, saturated fat intake seems to raise cholesterol the most. So if so, in facto, saturated fat is a nutritional factor that causes heart disease. So that's what his hypothesis was. And there's, like I said, there's whole, so many people on the internet debating that fact. And I would love to throw my hat in that debate. So that's really what it was born out of is some guy found that cholesterol in the arteries could be related to increases in heart disease.
0: Yeah. And I remember, I think it was in David Seaman's book. I think he talked about it and kind of debunked the study from his perspective. And like you're kind of saying, there's a bunch of nuance here, like, I just remember when I read in David Seaman's book that I was like, oh, this study was just totally botched. And Ansel Keys was pretty much bought out from, I think it was like uh, maybe sugar companies or processed food companies. I forget what it was, but basically they wanted to take the blame away from them and put it more towards saturated fat and some of these other food groups, if you will, or and whatnot. And didn't he, he, threw out a couple countries that didn't fit his hypothesis. Narrative. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then there was Which is a big no, no called... in scientific data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So or yeah, yeah but he's really interesting. I'd have to go back and reread what uh, some of these people are saying about it just to refresh my memory. But yeah, <clears throat> kind of what I got out of that is don't be so afraid of eating saturated fat. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming maybe eating high saturated fat with a bunch of processed foods, lack of sleep and high stress is probably a recipe for disaster when it comes to cardiovascular health. Is saturated fat alone, consuming saturated fat alone, something that you would be concerned with for someone who is low stress, getting good sleep and exercising?
1: Let's use two scenarios. Actually, you know, first thing I want to do, is I want to actually, no, we'll address that first and then I'll go to this analogy. So let's put two scenarios on the saturated fat front. One, we'll use the person you just said who will say previously they were diabetic and they clean up their nutrition and behavioral practices. Part of that includes a lower carb, higher fat diet. They start using a lot more butter, ghee, coconut oil, red meat. That's maybe 80, 20, or maybe a lot more eggs. And there there's saturated fat, intake goes up. Now if following that plan allows their metabolic markers to improve so they get reductions in their hemoglobin a1c which is just the 3 month average of your blood sugar, they get reductions in blood sugar, reductions in insulin, reductions in inflammatory markers like CRP or fibrinogen and they start sleeping more, exercising more, yada. If all of that happens and their saturated fat intake goes up by two or three fold, If that's all I know, I'm happy with that if I'm his practitioner. Now, let's go to another scenario. Let's say someone who is energy toxic, meaning they're eating in a caloric surplus consistently, not exercising, very sedentary lifestyle, very poor sleeper, does not do any sort of stress mitigation, higher sense of purpose, spirituality practice, and they're consuming more than the recommended amount of saturated fat, which is what they say, like 10% of calories, no more than 10% of calories should come from saturated fat. That's the American guidelines for what have you. And let's say like 15% of their calories are coming from saturated fat. In that scenario, probably is the saturated fat excess making things worse? Maybe. But like we pointed out, in the setting of the opposite person who's doing everything right, if their saturated fat intake goes up, I'm not worried about that without knowing any of the more in-depth cardiovascular markers.
0: And that's actually, I'm glad you finished with that. That's exactly one of the, what I where I wanted to go is cholesterol levels, LDL, HDL. Is that the only biomarker you're looking at when you're looking at, when you're assessing someone's heart health? That's a fantastic question. And
1: here's the analogy I wanted to use. So we need to differentiate cholesterol versus low density and high density lipoproteins. When people say LDL, they, they insinuate, they're talking about cholesterol, where low, a low density lipoprotein is just that it's a lipoprotein, it's a half fat, half protein molecule. And cholesterol is just this different compound inside of these lipoproteins. And here's, here's the analogy I like to use for people. Think of a highway, an interstate highway. If you're going to work and you want to look at the traffic report, and this is a question for you, Vic, do you care more about how many people are on the highway or how many cars are on the highway?
0: How many cars? Why? Because you could pack a bunch of people into one car. That doesn't make as much of a difference on my travel time as how many actual cars are on the highway. Exactly. I
1: liken people on the highway to your cholesterol levels. So your LDL cholesterol, your HDL cholesterol, and I liken how many cars to your LDL particles.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. And what what, what we're starting to unpack is that the amount of people on the highway, like you just said, there could be one or two cars that are buses that are full of hundreds of people and it, there's not a lot of traffic, but if each person is driving their own car, that's a ton of traffic on the highway. So we are now understanding that low-density lipoprotein particles are more of the marker we want to assess for versus just your LDL
0: cholesterol. I mean, the LD, the low-density aspect of that would be that, like you just said, each person is driving their own car. A high-density HDL particle would be you're packing in a lot of particles into that HDL, that like that high density lipoprotein. Is that accurate or it's more so, okay. So we probably should
1: tell people a little bit about why, why something is high dense and low dense. It's related to when you put something in water, it's buoyancy. So when they, when they were discovering these things, a high density lipoprotein, it has, it's very dense. So it sinks. And the reason it's dense is because it's carrying more proteins because protein is very heavy than it's carrying fats because fats float. Whereas a low density lipoprotein is low density, so it it floats. And the reason it floats is because inside of that is more triglyceride rich cholesterol. And so why people started to say oh LDL is bad, HDL is good, is because LDL Particles, Part of what it's doing is delivering cholesterol and triglycerides to different cells or to different car accidents on the highway, aka blood clots. And what HDL or high density lipoprotein particles are doing is removing damage, excess cholesterol from the highway and bringing it back to the neighborhoods where we can get rid of the damage. So that's why I said HDL is good because it's bringing stuff back. But if you have too high of HDL, that can be a problem. And they're like, LDL is bad. But if you have too low of LDL, good luck fighting off an infection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just about to kind of bring that up, like painting the whole picture here with kind of the mechanism of LDL, HDL, like we talked about earlier. You're looking at a blood clot, they dissect it. It's lots of triglycerides and fats and cholesterol particles. And so, I mean, Zooming out with what you just explained, with the LDL bringing fats and cholesterol to a site of inflammation or tissue damage, and the HDL bringing things away, is that so? You would say that's why LDL has kind of been deemed bad. Exactly. Okay. Um. And then, so what would you say the mechanism? is for something like a blood clot or a plaque arterial mm, plaque mm. my knowledge is and uh, our neurology teacher explained this in school you get a high stress scenario chronic high stress which I don't know if chronic high stress is good for literally anything but you get high high stress leads to high blood pressure those blood cells are bumping into where blood vessels bifurcate or branch off then you start to get, little but chronic uh, tissue damage in the blood vessel inflammation starts to build up. Then cholesterol comes in to try to save the day, but then that starts to build up and then that's what gets blamed for the plaque or the heart attack, whatever. When in reality, cholesterol was trying to help and it was the underlying blood pressure issue caused by underlying stress. And of course, that's one potential mechanism. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd like to hear you kind of explain the mechanism of placking and um, and kind of blockage. Yeah, and that that you said that very very well.
1: And I just want to—I probably should have said this earlier. I am—I wouldn't call myself an expert on this topic. I work with people clinically on managing longevity and helping them support their body's own physiology through. Cardiovascular things, but there's obviously people that have entire PhDs on this subject. But I also think it's fun to read about. I want to keep going with the analogy of the highway. A car accident, whenever a car accident happens, who typically shows up to the scene of a car accident?
0: Yeah, hey, Billets, police officer. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so if you were if you knew nothing about car accidents. And all you saw was the end result where there's a ton of police officers and ambulances. You say, Oh my gosh, ambulances and police officers cause car accidents. Because there's all because they're always there. When they're just showing up to the scene of the event, that is LDL cholesterol.
0: Boom. Um, mic drop. Don't drop that mic. It looks expensive. <laughs> it's actually very affordable. <laughs> so you, you you really people like, what does that mean?
1: The question you asked earlier was the golden question. What's causing the stress on the arteries? What's causing the car accidents? That's the question.
0: So what would you maybe top, is there a top three contributors in your mind? Is there just like a top one, like where's your head at with kind of those underlying causes or do you not know enough to really give your two cents? I'm not really sure. I imagine you do. I'll give my two cents. <clears throat> I think poor, poor metabolic health is a large one.
1: The poster child for that is diabetes. So diabetics are at a two to three fold increased risk for cardiovascular disease because a blood sugar roller coaster or high hemoglobin A1C is an incredibly large car accident on the highway. Wow. Also, high insulin, which is also characterized in diabetes are becoming insulin resistant, a lot of insulin is itself a large car accident. High blood pressure is probably the biggest car accident, which a lot of the underlying causes of high blood pressure are insulin resistance and poor metabolic health. So really, to to me, in my opinion, the biggest driver of these car accidents is people's metabolic health. Then underneath that, you can start looking into heavy metals, lead, unmanaged stress, which probably has a lot of its car accident capabilities through elevated blood pressure, or even nutrient insufficiencies, elevated homocysteine. But really, the biggest one to me is the poor metabolic health. Yeah,
0: it actually, it's actually that's very fascinating. So we went from a discussion on cholesterol and plaques to managing blood sugar and insulin and some other factors like you just mentioned that are kind of the fundamentals of metabolic health. I uh, will to do a podcast on kind of blood sugar and, and the like and related topics. Um,
1: I want to say one more thing. I think yeah, that gets ahead. to your very first point of you have all these carnivore people who are eating boatloads of saturated fat and dietary cholesterol, yet why aren't they worried about their cholesterol levels? And they're not worried because their metabolic markers are so pristine, So Hmm. their theory is, Hey, if I'm not causing any sort of car accidents, do I care about how many cars are on the road? Because if you, if you look at their lab panels, I think Saladino, he's said before that he has elevated LDL particles. So he has an excess amount of cars on the highway, but his theory is that, Hey, just not a lot of accidents are happening.
0: And I like how you said theory, because to my knowledge, I have a buddy at Duke and he's talked, we've talked about Saladino a little bit too. And he's like, this hasn't really been tested long-term. Like you can go back and maybe look at some of the uh, <coughs> tribes that like Liver King and uh, Saladino and all these people who have visited them, like you can go and look at their lifestyle and their diet. Of course, they're living a very different lifestyle than we are. So there's kind of some confounding variables there. Like, I mean, if you only looked at diet and like, oh, well, they eat meat and they eat high fat organs and they're fine. Well, they're walking around most of the day. They're out outside. They're getting sunlight. They're moving. They have a social network. All these things that you and I talked about, we often talk about, whereas we're living a completely different life. So you add saturated fat to high stress no social support, et cetera. That's a completely different story, but that's, not they what could die good. at
1: like 40 from getting attacked by an animal. What's that? Plus they could die at 40 from getting an animal attack.
0: There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very, it's fascinating to, to see. They're kind of, I mean, they're, I would say that's quite an extreme approach. And honestly, it sounds like they're just kind of playing with fire, so to speak. I mean, I can't see Saladino ever worrying about money or his lifestyle at this point. I mean, the dude lives in Costa Rica and just kind of surfs and chills and works out, and does does what he does, gets good sleep. Uh, again, Sean Baker does what he does. And, yeah, like you said, they're not causing a lot of car accidents, so to speak, with that highway analogy. So, I mean, <clears throat> I can't imagine that you would recommend everyone who's listening to this say hey, just go try eat high saturated fat as long as you – do all these things and yeah that might be generic principle advice but you'd have to dig in specifically with each person n equals one and let's say like do a consult or a session with you to like really decide if that's a good route to go because maybe they think that their blood sugar is good or that they're low stress or that they're doing the right things but you see something on their lab work or you perceive something completely different from an outside perspective and you can more professionally uh, and specifically precisely guide them like, yeah, maybe don't try that diet right now. That wouldn't be a good idea because you would be increasing your risk for a heart issue or plaquing or whatever it is. Um, the other thing I'm curious if you know much about that fascinates me is I've had a couple of patients where doctors found some plaquing around their heart or whatever and they go get rechecked. And not that the plaque went away, but they actually ended up having other blood vessels built, or the body built blood vessels around that blockage, as if the body does know how to compensate. And of course, with anything, there is a limit to compensation to where it becomes dysfunction and will cause an issue at some point. But Um, I'm curious kind of maybe what you know about that. I don't know if it would be called like arteriogenesis or I don't know, some fancy medical term, Um, but how much have you read on that? How much do you know about kind of how the body compensates around a blockage like that?
1: I'm actually not too well-versed in that area. Do you mean these were like cardio thoracic surgeons that went in and discovered that, or they had, like a coronary artery calcium score or what do you remember what
0: things they had um, done? That? I think they did have some sort of scan and, and yeah, or like I mean, a, a CT blockage.
1: angiogram or something.
0: Yeah. something with, yeah. Blockage was found. And then the, the patient would describe that uh, the doctor told him they there were some blood vessels built around it as a compensation. And that just blows my mind. And I think it's such a testament to how the body can compensate even with some of the, more i mean i would say some of the worst issues we would probably see like you said heart issues are one of the more or is one of or if not the leading cause of uh, mortality in the country so yeah i would just say maybe it's more of a testament and fascination that i have with how much the body can compensate even with all of these issues that you and i talked about yeah, I mean um, it makes
1: sense right if if the highway is jammed up the body and all its perfectly designedness is going to create another road <laughs>
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And And what I love about it is you don't have to consciously make that decision or consciously tell it to do that. It'll just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But cool, man. This was amazing. I don't have any more questions. I don't know if you have anything that you want to add. Obviously, I would recommend anyone who's listening to this to check Nick's Instagram and reach out to him for a consult if you're interested in finding out maybe your risk for Cardiovascular disease, or just want to optimize your metabolic health. Uh, maybe he's not an expert per se in just cardiovascular issues by itself, but uh, metabolic health at large, like you mentioned earlier, will be kind of the fundamental, the foundation for reducing cardiovascular issues amongst many other issues that many people deal with. So, where could people find you? I know you have an Instagram, I forget exactly your handle. Do you have other social media do you have a website yeah you, you know
1: this is funny because
0: this is going to be on
1: my own podcast probably but <laughs> yeah it's well this is Shameless a cool opportunity blood. yeah <laughs> instagram at dr nick belton obviously if you're listening to this hopefully you are subscribed and following gut check radio clinic website hive natural health you can also find that on instagram and we have a ton of free resources blog post weekly newsletters for free just to help educate and understand, and hopefully entertain a little bit people about what's going on. And if I can end, if I can end on one last point, it's really hard to objectively measure gut health. People are trying to with stool tests. It's hard to objectively measure stress. HRV kind of gets you there, but it's we have the most amount of tools available to measure our cardiovascular risk. I mean, there is not a single condition on the planet that we have more tricks and diagnostic tools at our disposal than cardiovascular risk between blood panels, CT angiograms, coronary artery, calcium score. I mean, all of this, and none of this is incredibly invasive. Like none of this is surgical. None of this, they've cut you open. They just make a little prick or they do some scans and you have a really thorough assessment of what's going on with your highway system.
0: Wow. That's, that's awesome to hear, especially again, yeah, it's, it's a really top three, if not top, uh, cause of mortality in the country and many people deal with heart issues. And yeah, I know a lot of people, I mean, we get scared with testing and kind of how complex and all that stuff is. So that's really good to hear, especially someone like you who has experience in this field. Uh but your standard say,
1: lipid panel won't tell you that much.
0: All this to say get your lab done and go see Dr. Nick Belden because he can he can actually interpret these lab values and Maybe one last thing to end on. What would you say the difference is in how you interpret lab values as opposed to maybe a medical doctor or someone else who's reading these blood uh, labs for heart issues? Well,
1: there's even a lot of medical doctors now that are becoming very aware of LDL proteins and apolipoprotein B, PRT is probably my heart disease spiritual animal in terms of his knowledge of this is so vast, but I would say the biggest difference is that you're looking. A lot of doctors are just going to look at the lipid panel of your HDL, LDL cholesterol, and just whether or not that says high or low, they're going to make all their decisions based off that. Whereas your HDL can be too high. Your LDL can be too low. And even if your LDL is low, or even if your LDL is below 100 nanograms or milligrams per deciliter, that still doesn't give us a great picture about what's happening on your highway system. So I think that's the biggest thing is that most, a lot of physicians will just run that standard panel where that just, we're not getting
0: anywhere close to the information we can. So what you're saying is you need more a more thorough lab workup, and then someone who is capable of looking at the entire picture.
1: Yeah. They can understand the patterns and understand, Hey, is, is this high because your metabolic health is off? Is your metabolic health good and it's high or are both of them fine? It's, you know, it's always yeah. building the puzzle pieces together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's why you spend so much time with people in your appointments. And you and I have talked about a couple, like your thought process and, your kind of the mechanics of how you go about taking care of someone you meet with them and then you take so much time outside of the appointment to really think about what's best for this patient uh that's what blows me away with your approach and honestly it's kind of inspiring that you take so much time and put so much effort in i don't know if people realize like yeah you might be paying x price for that hour with you one-on-one but then they're really paying for that hour or whatever it is, plus all of your time and effort outside of that treatment or meetup. So, um, yeah, I think that's easy to take for granted for a lot of people because it's like out of sight, out of mind. But the amount of effort and time you put in with your patients is outstanding. So I uh, commend you for that just as a colleague and a friend. And it's, like I said, it's inspiring. So I hope to be on that level soon enough.
1: I appreciate I that. It, it, it is
0: very hard to, like you said, it's very hard to get
1: people's mind wrapped around that. Yeah. But when it happens, yeah. it's
0: cool for sure. Well, cool, man. As always, this was a great conversation. I love to dive into cholesterol. Hopefully more people listen to this and either have questions and kind of interact with this podcast and we'll, we'll, we'll just keep doing these until we run out of ideas. Love it. Yeah, these are
1: fun. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating or review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.